Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, if you want to donate, if you donate $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and From John to Justin, and on social media. If you donate $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by you with your name at the start. It's also stated it's sponsored by you on social media. If you donate $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you donate $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, and $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. You can also donate at buymeacupofcoffee slash craigu, and all of these links will be in my show notes. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to Bairdo37. And if you like, you can find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash canadianhistoryx. You can also find transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. After the sudden death of John Buchan, Canada was in need of a Governor General, and quickly. At the time, Canada was deep in the Second World War as it emerged from the Great Depression, and the man who would assume the mantle of Viceroy at this chaotic time would be an ex-soldier who was the cousin and brother-in-law to King George V. He was Alexander Cambridge, the first Earl of Athlone. On April 14, 1874, Prince Alexander of Teck was born in Kensington Palace, the fourth child of Prince Francis, the Duke of Teck, and Princess Mary Adelaide, the Duchess of Teck. His mother was the granddaughter of King George III and the cousin of Queen Victoria. As a child and into adulthood, Cambridge was known for having a quick and short temper, who was also cautious and tactful when he needed to be. In 1883, Cambridge and his parents fled the United Kingdom for continental Europe due to their high debts, and they would remain there for two years before returning. As a young man, Cambridge would attend Eton College, but dropped out to attend the Royal Military College. In 1894, he completed his officer's training and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. He would be promoted to lieutenant five years later. During the Boer War, he would serve as a captain and was awarded the Distinguished Service Order. In 1901, he would journey to Canada for the first time, coming with his brother-in-law and sister, the future King George V and Queen Mary. One government official would say during the visit, quote, He was a very fine-looking man. I well remember how extremely pleasant and amiable he was at all times. End quote. During the visit, there was a few unfortunate incidents. During a duck hunt at Delta Marsh in Manitoba, Cambridge would become lost, which became nationwide news. Joseph Pope, who was with the royal party, would write, quote, On their return to the lodge, it was discovered that a distinguished member of the party, to wit Prince Alexander of Teck, was missing. Lanterns were hung out and guns fired, but it was not until some time after sundown that Prince Alexander arrived, none the worse for his little experience, end quote. At the end of October, Cambridge would have his gold watch stolen as well. The watch had been in the family for four generations and was stolen from him while on a yacht during a party in Halifax Harbour where the guests included Sir Wilfrid Laurier. 
On November 16, 1903, Cambridge would become engaged to his second cousin, Princess Alice of Albany, the daughter of Prince Leopold. She was the niece of the Duke of Connaught, the Governor General of Canada, and together the couple would have three children, Princess May, Prince Rupert, and Prince Maurice. Sadly, Maurice would only live for six months. When the First World War broke out, Cambridge, now a major, was nominated by British Prime Minister H.A. Asquith to become the Governor General of Canada. Before this could happen, though, Cambridge was called up for active service and promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. Throughout the war, he would serve in various battles and would be awarded the Companion of the Order of St. Michael and St. George. On November 7, 1917, King George V made him the Earl of Athlone. Cambridge would be the only person to serve as the Earl of Athlone. His only living son, Rupert, would die 10 days shy of his 21st birthday on April 15, 1928. This made the Earl of Athlone title the third to become extinct with the death of the first Earl. In 1919, Cambridge was promoted to the rank of Colonel, and when he retired later that year, he was given the honorary title of Brigadier General. Now out of the military, he would take up posts as a civilian, including chairing the Athlone Committee, which investigated the need for doctors in England. The committee would lead to the creation of new post-secondary schools for medical education. In December 1923, Cambridge was made the Governor General of the Union of South Africa, replacing the Duke of Connaught. Cambridge was praised for treating South Africans of all backgrounds with courtesy. The Times would state, quote, Modest and unassuming, entirely approachable, easy in his talks with every kind of man or woman whom he meets in his constant journeys through the Union. No suspicion of partisan has ever attached to him, end quote. Cambridge would return to England in 1931, where he was made the Governor and Constable of Windsor Castle. One year later, he became the Chancellor of the University of London, a post he would hold until 1955. Just prior to the death of John Buchan, Prime Minister William Lyne Mackenzie King put forward the name of Cambridge to become Governor General, which he accepted. King inquired to Cambridge if he wanted the position on February 8th, three days before Buchan died. King would write in his diary, quote, I said to him that I had a perfect confidence in him that we all had. We all liked him and we felt sure he would be able to manage satisfactorily in every way. End quote. King would announce the appointment only days after the March 26, 1940 election, which his party had won with a majority government. King would write in his diary that King George VI approved the appointment, but stated that Cambridge would only serve for two years. Cambridge would also send a letter to King expressing his appreciation for the appointment. Cambridge would state in a speech later, quote, We feel we shall love Canada and hope to be worthy of the great privileges and opportunity which lie before us. End quote. Many were happy with the appointment. Premier John Bracken of Manitoba stated, quote, After the visit of the King and Queen last summer, the appointment of a member of the royal family as Governor-General will be doubly welcome. End quote. The French newspaper Le Jour would state in an editorial, quote, I believe I express the feelings of my compatriots of the French language in expressing a cordial welcome to the Earl of Athlone and in assuring him of our entire loyalty as Canadian citizens and British subjects. End quote. The Earl of Athlone will soon be going to Canada as Governor General. Today, with Princess Alice, Countess of Athlone, he visits units of the Canadian Active Service Force training in Britain. Among the regiments inspected by the Earl are the 48th Highlanders of Canada, men of Scottish descent who have come to play their part in defence of the freedom of the Empire. 
and they're proud to be the first to greet their future Governor-General. Coming to Canada at a time of war, their ship was forced to travel in a zigzag pattern across the Atlantic Ocean to evade submarines. And due to the war, Cambridge was not actually sworn in as Governor-General at his port of entry. Instead, he would be sworn in as Governor-General in Ottawa. There was also secrecy to the fact that Cambridge was coming to Canada. It was not until he had actually arrived in Halifax that the public even knew that the new Governor-General had landed in Canada. As a result, in Halifax, he was welcomed by only a few dozen people, but a spontaneous round of applause broke out as soon as he stepped off the boat. The Ottawa Journal wrote, quote, The Earl's first action on Canadian soil, the solid concrete of Halifax Pier 20, was a quick acknowledgement of the hand clapping with an affable smile that took in the whole group. The princess smiled with him, end quote. He was then taken to an RCMP car, then to the train which he boarded bound for Ottawa. On June 21, 1940, Cambridge was sworn in as the Governor-General of Canada. The London Times would write, quote, Lord Athlone was chosen for exactly the same reason as Mr. Buchan, because he is the kind of man whom Canadians would like to have among them as representative of their sovereign and as a leader of their social life, end quote. King would write of the swearing-in ceremony, quote, I felt as I stood at the council table and heard this greeting from the king, made in the presence of members of both houses of Parliament, my colleagues seated at the table on which I had my hand, and the granddaughter of Queen Victoria sitting in the chair beside the Earl of Athlone at the time, that this was a great moment in my life, in one way perhaps the most historic of any, as being the completest vindication of the whole of my grandfather's life. End quote. King's grandfather was William Lyne Mackenzie, who was the first mayor of Toronto, and he also led the Upper Canada Rebellion in 1837. Due to the sudden need for a governor-general, Cambridge had very little time to get prepared to get to Canada. The Ottawa citizen would relate, quote, It would have been pleasant for the new governor-general to have been here for the opening of the first session of the new parliament about the third week of May, Mr. King remarked, but the Earl of Athlone had intimated he could not make all necessary arrangements to reach Canada before some time in June. Quote. There was the question of if Cambridge would stay in Canada for his entire term. Due to the sudden nature of his appointment and the war going on, there was the possibility he would leave before 1945. The Regina Leader Post wrote, quote, At the moment, the Earl of Athlone feels he cannot say how long he will be able to stay in Canada. This is a time of war, and he thinks it would be inadvisable to commit himself for a full term in view of the circumstances. As soon as he arrived in Canada, Cambridge began to get involved in the war effort. He would travel throughout the country to raise funds for the war, and focused a lot of his attention on the troops. He would often visit troops in hospitals as well as training facilities. Cambridge and his wife would travel using the same train that was used by the rural couple during the 1939 royal visit. One of his first official acts was actually to give royal assent to enact a bill that mobilized all human and material resources of Canada for the prosecution of war. Cambridge would say, quote, I felt that at this moment of bitter trial in the history of nations, if I could in some measure contribute towards the great war effort you are making, my wholehearted service should be at Canada's disposal. End quote. In the first two months he was Governor General, Cambridge would visit the headquarters of three armed forces, the National Research Council, and several local factories engaged in the war effort. He would also open the number two service flying school at the Uplands Airport, inspected many military units, and went to Petawawa to observe operations. 
the Victoria Times colonist would write, quote, Strangers in the Dominion, they have their hands full in getting to know Canada and its people, but in addition to normal duties, they have taken on the job of encouraging and stimulating the country's war effort in every way possible, end quote. Armament factories are also busy in Canada. Here's one in Toronto, inspected by the Governor-General. It's one of the many places where they make that extremely handy automatic, the Bren gun. And Lord Athlone sees that the workmanship is good. All the resources of the Dominion are being thrown into the defense of Britain and the Empire. On March 22, 1944, Cambridge would officially launch the Auxiliary War Services Campaign, which was broadcast nationwide over CBC Radio. He would say in the campaign's opening address that he asked for the full support of Canadians because the agencies involved, quote, have an essential part to play in the fashioning of our fighting services into a weapon which will strike the sword of tyranny from the hands of our enemies, end quote. Like Governor's General before him, he would meet with the Indigenous and would be given the name of Chief Rainbow by the Ojibwe. Cambridge was well known for his love of radio, and he enjoyed shows on the CBC, especially comedies. He would also always carry a large billfold in his pocket. He would tell Maclean's that he did not have much money in his hands before coming to Canada, and he liked the unaccustomed feel of it in his pocket. He was also known to be an avid sports fan, and would often spend early mornings riding a horse through the grounds of Rideau Hall and the nearby paths. And while his duties prevented him from watching many football games, he did try to attend games when he could. On November 8, 1940, in fact, he would take part in the opening kickoff in a game between the Ottawa Rough Riders and the Hamilton Tigers. Prior to kicking the ball, he would meet with the players of both teams to shake hands. The Ottawa citizen reported, quote, When the Governor-General kicked off, the new ball was encircled with the colors of the Ottawa club. After Herman converted Ottawa's last touch, some youngster gathered the ball in and a new pigskin had to be brought into play, end quote. One day later, he would open Parliament for the first time where he spent half his speech talking about the situation in Europe and Asia while paying tribute to the spirit of the British people. During the war, several royal families would also take refuge in Canada, including Crown Prince Olaf and Crown Princess Martha of Norway, Grand Duchess Charlotte and Prince Felix of Luxembourg, and Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands. All would be frequent guests at Rideau Hall for dinners and events with Cambridge. The Earl of Athlone with his Countess, the Princess Alice, have paid a visit to Mr. Roosevelt at his home in Hyde Park. The Earl as Governor-General of Canada thus renewed the firm friendship between Canada and the United States. Our cameraman called at Hyde Park to film the group, but unfortunately Lord Athlone was compelled to stay indoors owing to a cold. In December 1941, Winston Churchill arrived in Canada and stayed at Rideau Hall, where he presided over British cabinet meetings through a telephone while he was in bed. In 1943 and 44, Cambridge played host to Winston Churchill, President Franklin Roosevelt, and Prime Minister King during the Quebec conferences, where Allied strategies for winning the war were discussed. And while Cambridge tried to remain unobtrusive during the conferences, King felt that he was being overshadowed in his country by Cambridge and his wife during the conferences. King would be offended when Cambridge stated he was glad the Prime Minister had come along for the conference, implying his presence was not required. To amplify our first pictures of Mr. Churchill in Canada come these additional shots from Quebec. In the public mind, this great gathering of leaders is precursory to momentous Allied moves. 
Mrs. Churchill and her daughter Mary availed themselves of the opportunity to do a little sightseeing. In place of a limousine, they used a one-horsepower calèche to take them on their tour. On the terrace of the Citadel are the men who have shaped future history. Upon their deliberations hangs the whole course of events. Not distant, but immediate action. But riding through all this is that steady, firm Anglo-American friendship which finds renewed expression on Canadian soil. The Countess of Athlone is pictured in this group. The Earl of Athlone, the Governor-General, is recognized on the left of the back row. The Prime Minister, President Roosevelt and Mr. Mackenzie King hold secrets shortly to be revealed in terms of bold action. In 1945, the Canadian ambassador to the United States, Lester B. Pearson, would entertain the viceregal couple in Washington. He would write, quote, Their natural simplicity and kindliness made them easy and welcome guests, end quote. He would also call Cambridge a born tourist and a very nice man. Once more, it is my privilege to give you my greetings for the new year. All of us hope that the war against Germany will be over within the next few months and that our victorious sailors, soldiers and airmen will soon be with us again. We must, however, remember that our implacable enemies have their backs to the wall and that they will fight with all their strength to delay the inevitable end. But our men are in good heart and we know that they will fight with the same undaunted bravery that has earned for Canada and her armed services the admiration of the whole civilized world. And so I bid you be of good cheer, and I enjoin up upon each one of you to make a New Year's resolution to support and encourage the armed forces of Canada and our allies by every possible means and with redoubled enthusiasm and energy. By February 1945, Cambridge began to hint that his time as Governor-General would likely be coming to an end. After handing out the Governor-General's trophy at the Renfrew Curling Club, he would say, quote, I regret that this is the last time I shall present the trophy to your curling champions, as we will be leaving your shores, end quote. When the Second World War ended in Europe on May 8, 1945, and in Japan on August 15, Cambridge led national celebrations from Parliament Hill. Then, on March 21, 1946, his time as Governor-General came to an end, having helped guide Canada through the Second World War. His last act as Governor-General would be to lay a wreath at the National War Memorial. The Ottawa citizen would write, quote, with tears dimming their eyes, His Excellency, the Earl of Athlone, and Her Royal Highness, the Princess Alice, waved farewell to Canada as they took off from Rock Cliff Airport for Washington on the first leg of a journey which will take them back to their native England. End quote. The Montreal Gazette would write, quote, There is sadness for Canadians now that the parting time has come, for the Earl of Athlone and the Princess Alice have been with the Canadian people through all the moving experiences in war. In our anxieties they have shared, in our losses they have sympathized, in our achievements they have taken pride." End quote. In 1953, Cambridge was appointed with Lord Alexander of Turnus as the heads of the committee to organize the coronation of his grandniece, Queen Elizabeth II. 
and on January 16, 1957, Cambridge passed away as the last surviving great-grandchild of King George III. The Earl of Athlone will be remembered for his service to Britain and the Commonwealth. His death at 82 will be specially mourned in Canada, where he was a popular Governor-General, an appointment he also held in South Africa. A great-uncle of the Queen, the Earl had a distinguished army career. A happy London occasion, the Earl encounters among the guests of the Duke of Norfolk's wedding. The Earl was the brother of the late Queen Mary, and on this occasion accompanied Her Majesty at a review of district nurses. Sir Winston Churchill received a degree from the Earl, who for 23 years was Chancellor of London University. Princess Alice shared her husband's interest in sport, and as President of the Football Association, the Earl welcomed many touring sides to Britain. Windsor, leaving the special train which brought the body of the Earl of Athlone from London, the funeral cortege moved in slow procession to the castle. It was escorted by the lifeguards and the 7th Queen's Hussars, regiments in which the distinguished soldier had served. Into St George's Chapel for the service, which was attended by the Queen and other members of the royal family. Lord Athlone was buried with full military honours, and the wealth of floral tributes from Europe's royal houses testified to the esteem in which he was held. In Canada, the community of Athlone, Alberta is named for him, as is Athlone, Newfoundland and Labrador. Two schools are also named for him in Edmonton and Winnipeg. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Alexander Cambridge. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Wendy Mills. Keelan Pregnitz. Michael Matthews. Joanna Parker. Jeff Dahl. Vobs. Robert Page. Richard D. Colin Johnson. Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, Governor General of Canada, British Museum, Wikipedia, Library and Archives Canada, The Weekly News Advertiser, Ottawa Journal, Victoria Times Colonist, Montreal Gazette, Calgary Alberton, and The Windsor Star. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.